The theme for this year is getting used to different, but with God, different is always better. As the children of Israel, they lived on manna 40 years. But when they crossed in the promised land and began to eat the bountiful fruit of the promised land, the manna stopped. It was, the fruit was different, but it was better. And we have moved into a season when things have become different. Many of you are watching online because right now you're concerned. You're uncomfortable getting out in crowds. We understand. We're growing an online audience. We'd love to see you back in the house of God as soon as you can. But until those concerns are alleviated, we understand completely. As we turn to Second Chronicles 29, I want to read a text of scripture about a guy that approached things from a different perspective. I'm in a series in which I've been titled, which I've titled Getting the Junk Out and Putting It by the Road. And we spent a couple of weeks talking about getting the junk out of the attic. That is your thinking, your thought life, your presuppositions, your programming. It's amazing the stuff that we have accepted in our thought life that we don't even know where we got it from and we accept it without question. And many times it's terribly flawed and incorrect. Y'all heard the old story about the young girl that got married and and she was cooking her first ham. And so she cut the end of it off and threw it away. And her husband said, what in the world are you doing that for? And she said, well, you can't eat it. He said, well, why not? And she said, well, I don't know. And she called her mom and said, mom, what is it about the end of the ham that is bad that you always cut it off and threw it away? And the mom laughed and said, honey, I didn't have a pot big enough to put the whole thing in. You can accept stuff that you don't even question and becomes law to you. And so we're talking about getting rid of the junk in your mind, but that's not the only place you need to do house cleaning. Second Chronicles 29, one through two, Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old. He reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. Matthew 5, 8, one of the most profound and insightful scriptures in the Bible from the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I want to speak to you today from the subject cleaning the junk out of the living room. Father, would you talk to us and let your word do its work of cleansing within every person. By opening the word of God to our understanding with conviction and anointing. Let me hide behind the cross that they see only you. And I ask it in Jesus name and everybody said, amen. Cleaning the junk out of the living room. If you're going to only take the trash down from upstairs and clean out the attic, it really isn't fixing A whole lot, is it? You need to move on down to the living room area. The bedrooms, the kitchen, dining room, the other areas where life has actually lived out on a day-by-day basis. Hezekiah demonstrates this. He's considered to be one of the best kings that Israel ever had. And what is really unusual about this is that he was preceded by one of the most wicked kings 
Israel ever had. That was his father Ahaz. Second Chronicles twenty eight nineteen. For the Lord brought Judah low because of King Ahaz of Israel. For he had encouraged moral decline in Judah and had been continually unfaithful to the Lord. Under King Ahaz, Judah was being attacked and troubled by their enemies. But King Ahaz, instead of turning to God, leaned the other way. Have you learned the benefit of whenever you're going through a rough place to lean into God? Just kind of do that. Lean into God. Boy, when you're going through trouble, that's a good thing to do. Ahaz did the exact opposite. He leaned away from God. Second Chronicles 28, 22 says, Now in the time of his distress, he became increasingly unfaithful to the Lord. And then it says, this is that King Ahaz. Like, this guy was something. For he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus, which had defeated him, saying, Because the kings... Are the gods, rather the kings of Syria, help them? I will sacrifice to them that they may help me. But they were the ruin of him and of all Israel. So Ahaz gathered the articles of the house of God, cut in pieces. The articles of the house of God shut up the doors of the house of the Lord and made for himself altars in every corner of Jerusalem to these false gods. And the people followed his example and grew contemptuous of God's house. Never lose your regard for the house of God. Up until that time, everybody dumped their refuse in the valley of Hinnom or the valley of Gehenna. It was called both names. And the smoke was constantly boiling up and they would throw dead animals there and burn the debris and the smell was horrific and vultures were flying in and out of the smoke and and that's where they got rid of their garbage. But when King Ahaz closed the house of God, they said, that's too far to go. And they started filling up the temple with their garbage, and then they filled up the courtyard of the temple. When Hezekiah became king of Judah, he helped turn Judah back to God. He cleaned out the temple and had the people come back to the house of the Lord. Second Chronicles 29.3, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. Then he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them in the east square and said to them, Hear me, Levites, now sanctify yourselves and sanctify the house, uh, the, the, the house of the Lord God of your fathers and carry out the rubbish from this holy place. First thing he did, he repaired and opened the doors. That's worship. What you just saw a moment ago in those songs that were being sung, man... They were opening the doors. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors. That's in worship. I've been in the church long enough to remember when they used to just sing about the Lord. Now they sing to him. That's worship. Singing about the Lord was more praise. And what Hezekiah did is he fixed the doors where people could get back into the presence of God. But then he told the Levites, sanctify yourselves and get rid of this junk. And do you know it took eight days to clean out the temple? And it wasn't a big place. It took another eight days to clean out the rubbish and the garbage out of the courtyard. That's a total of 16 days it took to get rid of the smelly, 
rotting garbage that people had stacked there. And then Hezekiah challenged the Levites and the priests and said, For our fathers have trespassed and done evil in the eyes of the Lord. They have forsaken him and have turned their faces away from the dwelling place of the Lord and turned their backs on him. You see, that was leaning away from God instead of into God. And they have shut up the doors of the vestibule, put out the lamps and have not burned incense or offered burnt offerings. No sacrifice, no commitment to God. In the holy place to the God of Israel. Therefore the wrath of the Lord fell upon Judah and Jerusalem. And he has given them up to trouble, to desolation and to jeering as you see with your eyes. For indeed because of this our fathers have fallen by the sword. Our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity. Now it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel. That his fierce wrath may turn away from us. My sons do not be negligent now. For the Lord has chosen you to stand before him. To serve him and that you should minister to him and burn incense. What Hezekiah was saying was guys. You've been chosen. You're privileged to enter into the presence of God. Don't be negligent. Clean out this temple where God can begin to meet with us. And the next verses tell us that after the priest cleansed the temple, all the people returned and worshiped God. And this set the stage for the one of the greatest Miracles that occurred in the Old Testament or even in the New. And that was whenever the Assyrian army came and surrounded the city of Jerusalem. And they, they sent a letter to Hezekiah. And you know what he did? He took it to the temple that had been cleaned out. Laid it out before God and read it and said, God, this is about you, not about me. And you know what? In one night, God sent an angel that killed 185,000 of the enemy. And they got up the next morning humiliated, the few who survived and fled like scared jackrabbits. All because the people had cleansed the temple and begun to worship God again. And this story teaches us that what's in your heart really matters to God. You are the temple of the living God. And your heart, my heart can become filled with the wrong things. 1 Corinthians six nineteen. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Wow. He lives here. And if we're not careful, we can let this get so cluttered that we squeeze him out. And this can be filled with rubbish and debris and smelly, odiferous stuff that is revulsive to God. You can literally become a sign, a living sign of the last days just by ignoring, ignoring the issues of your heart. Look at 2 Timothy 3 where Paul tells Timothy... The signs of the last days will not just be mark of the beast and plagues and COVID and war and famine. Listen to this. He said, for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving, unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride and love pleasure more than God. 
They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. And then Paul said, stay away from people like that. Because they become living signs of the last days because their hearts became contaminated. Filled with rubbish because they didn't protect their heart. And do you know each one of us in our daily battle to protect our hearts? Oh yeah, you're in a battle and I am too to keep my heart untainted from anger or hate or impurity or greed or any of the other things that Paul said were coming. But here's the difference. Christians run into the battle, not away from it. I wish I could hear an amen. We fight with different weapons than the world fights with. We fight with love and kindness. And the enemy doesn't know how to deal with us when we do that. He's always trying to get us to fight with his weapons. Saul wanted David to use his armor. It didn't work for Saul. And David knew it wouldn't work for him. He said, no, you keep your armor. I've got my own weapons here. And it won't work for believers to borrow the weapons of the world and the armor of the world either. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're mighty through God to the casting down of strongholds and the pulling down of imaginations. Can I hear somebody in the building say amen? And among those weapons that Satan uses to achieve his purposes is division. The devil's strategy has always been to divide and conquer. God's strategy has always been to unite and to conquer through unity. He does so. The enemy does. He divides by having people say things that sow discord. Talk. One way that you sow discord is saying things that are not true. Even if you believe they are true. If they're not, you just sow discord. I know it's what we think. You know, I thought this was the way it was, and so I repeated it, and God said, discord, because you're saying something that isn't true. And the Bible speaks of seven things that are an abomination to the Lord. Proverbs six nineteen: a false witness who speaks lies and one who sows discord among the brethren. God hates that. And it also tells us that the way to dispel the lies is by truth. Because darkness is repelled by light, which is truth. And we are cleansed by God's word, which is light. John seventeen seventeen said, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. It's like the UVC lights that we cleanse this auditorium with after every service in the classrooms. They run those things through here. They kill 99.9% of all virus and germs and bacteria. When you, you know how you fight darkness? You don't shout at it. You don't, you know, go to war against it. You just walk over. This building, for example, is so dark in the auditorium when the doors are closed during the day. You can't even see your hand in front of your face. And you know how to repel that darkness? You don't say, I curse the darkness. You just watch, walk over and turn on a light switch. That's all you do. And the darkness flees. Because truth is greater than darkness. Truth is greater than untruth. One of the things the enemy uses effectively to create division is politics. (laughs) 
Politics lends itself really well to creating discord because by its very nature it's divisive. If you're for this, then you're opposed to that, right? And there are three types of kingdoms that are mentioned in the Bible. They are kingdoms of dar- the kingdom of darkness, the kingdoms of men, and the kingdom of light, which is the kingdom of God. And unfortunately, many times the kingdoms of men which is the realm of politics, has been co-opted and dominated by the kingdom of darkness. We all know that's true. History's proven this time and time again. Take a look at it. Go back to the earliest civilizations known to man, and this is the case. Whether it's been the ancient empires of North Africa, the feudal kingdoms of Europe, the dynasties of Asia, the empires of Latin and South America, or even governments in these modern times, it's the same story. Always ends up at the same place. Everybody promises you they're going to make the world better. And then they end up doing things for the benefit of the few at the top and the oppression of everyone else. Always the same story. That's why politics divides. This last election proved just how divisive politics can be. It was a hard fought, bitterly contested election and one that left our nation angry and divided. Both Republicans and Democrats railed at each other. Emotions on both sides boiled over. I gently asked during the course of all of that, that no matter which side of the aisle you're on, to please remember and respect those with opposing views because they're precious in the eyes of God, those people are. But in many cases, that did not happen across the nation. And churches are having to deal with the aftermath of all the hate and the venom that would was pouring out of good people on both sides of the issues. Both sides. I know churches that are divided right now. You say, well, we're a multicultural church. You might think that we would be divided. We're not. Oh, there's some folks that have questions. But I know churches that are altogether black churches that are divided right now. I've had pastors, one of the best known African-American pastors in the nation say in the same morning... Somebody came to him and said, if you talk this stuff one more time, I'm leaving. And somebody else came to him the same morning and said, if you don't talk about it more, I'm leaving. And pastoring has reached the point that we need to stay with the word of God, ladies and gentlemen. This is where it's at right here. And what it teaches... Prophetic voices embarrass themselves by reducing themselves to the role of fortune tellers in this last election, predicting who would win. And they lost their credibility. And I urged everybody that I talked to, do not do that. But some would not listen. It didn't just happen that way in 2020 either. It also happened in 2016. Did you know the New York Times had already printed their front page? And after the, for the election in 2016 that said Hillary won. And she didn't. And CNN and MSNBC and Fox and everybody got in on it, didn't they? Host of others. As a pastor, this is my concern. I'm concerned because I believe that both parties have things that are fundamentally wrong in them. I have yet to meet a candidate that I feel is not flawed. Amen. And if I get too rabid in supporting one, I'm supporting whatever they're doing that isn't right. And so I think we ought to vote values. Now I'm saying this after the election so you can get this fixed in your minds before we have another one in two years. 
Amen. We blindly embrace either party. And because we blindly embrace them, we do not force them to deal with the issues that they have. We just embrace them and, you know, problems and all. People ask me all during the process, what are you, Republican, Democrat? I had people saying, you're a big Trump supporter. I laughed. I said publicly, I am a kingdom conservative. You know what that means? I vote the kingdom of God. I don't vote men ever. I vote the kingdom of God. Did you hear what I said? I vote the kingdom. Why? Because he's perfect, but his followers are not. He's got room for me and you in his kingdom. Oh, hallelujah. Thank God for that. Thank God for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The one candidate I could and did support, they did not allow on the Texas ballot, and that's Jade Simmons. You know why I could support her? I know her. She's a member of this church. I know her commitment to God, her values. People are so divided. And that's not unique to any one part of the country, lest you think that it is. I deliberately waited until after the election into the new year where I could address this because we got to remember that God's church is a hospital for healing, not a battlefield where wars are fought. Amen. And to any of our members who have been wounded and who have struggled with this and their feelings have become inflamed, I love you and I'm praying for you. No matter which side of issues you're on, the church has always stood for healing. It is the only institution that exists in the world that can heal these kind of wounds and bridge the gap in this type of division. Amen. Part of the healing process is to get back to basics and remember that the church was never intended to be political. We stand outside the political system so we can speak to the wrongs in it. I needed a better amen right there. Amen. People say, well, don't you care about the the issues? Of course I do. Does that mean we should not be involved in politics? Of course you should be, but not in the church. Out there is fine. You should be. I hope somebody sitting here becomes the next president. Hope somebody here becomes the next mayor. The next governor. Yes, get involved. But don't carry it in here with its contention. Because the church has to be the one that is pure enough that it can stand there and speak to the problems when they do come up. Amen. The church must be unsullied by political ambition or any other forms of power and influence that would cause us to lose our focus on Jesus Christ. But at the same time, hear me clearly, we do stand against all forms of oppression and wrong. We don't turn a blind eye. You need to know that I'm opposed to racism. You need to know that I'm opposed to people treating one another bad at any level. You need to know that Jesus Christ made us all one family. We stand together united by the blood of Christ. Somebody ought to shout hallelujah right now. Societal transformation is the byproduct of healthy churches. However, when the focus is primarily on societal transformation instead of growing healthy churches, the outcome is harmful to the church and to the world. That's because when the church is unhealthy, 
It cannot transform society. And we must never forget our mandate is healthy churches. From here we heal the world. In the Old Testament, true prophets never aligned themselves with politics. And the one who did were false prophets. The only time you'll find where a prophet attempted to align himself was when David said, I want to build God a house. And Nathan said, go for it. And Nathan started walking off and God tapped him on the shoulder and said, go tell David. I said, no. And he had to go back. Outside of that, when prophets married themselves to the political systems of their day, they became false prophets. In the New Testament, neither Christ nor the apostles ever signed on to a political platform or party either. And they lived in one of the most wicked days of, that existed. Jesus had Matthew in his church. Do you know who Matthew was? He was a tax collector for the Roman government. And way over here, he had Simon Zelotes, who was a political reformist who advocated the overthrow of Roman occupation in Palestine by force. And then he had James and John who wanted to call down fire from heaven on everybody in Samaria. You could be anything and be a part of Jesus' church, but you don't take that out here and bring it into the kingdom. And Jesus could make everybody feel loved. I'm so glad there's room in Jesus' church for Democrats and Republicans and third-party independents. Hello, somebody. Do you know what our problem is? We make one evil. We've added a new standard to salvation. You no longer have to believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. You now got to sign on to my political party. Or I don't believe you're a Christian anymore. Wow. How did we ever get there? Because Christ plus anything is not the gospel. In Christ the solid rock I stand. Hallelujah. All other ground is sinking sand. In Christ alone I put my trust. Hello, somebody. It won't be Trump or Biden that calls me out of the tomb on resurrection morning. It's going to be the power of a resurrected Jesus. Hallelujah. In the Old Testament, several times prophets veered into error and lost their anointing by aligning with political kingdoms. And platforms. Look at the prophets who supported the king of Judah when Jeremiah was around, leaving Jeremiah alone. One of them even slapped him, got violent over politics, threw him into a pit and left him there to die. He was the only one who stood outside of the political sphere to speak to it. But because of those that had got involved in it, they lost their voice and became just fortune tellers. The church also became political after the death of the apostles and early church fathers. And it led to the worst era in church history. They called it the dark ages. And that's when the church married into the political system. Literally married into the political system to form, quote, the Holy Roman Empire. Amen. And it took one event to bring 
the world out of this darkness. And you know what that was? That was when Johannes Gutenberg printed the Bible on the printing press he just invented. Because up until that time, only the priest had the word of God. But once the word of God got out to everybody, all of the darkness went away. It was like flipping that light switch I talked about a while ago. God's word brings deliverance. God's word brings freedom. God's word will set you free. If I'm talking to anybody that is bound today, the word of God will set you free. There's power in the word. Psalms 119 verse 130 says, the entrance of your word gives light. When Gutenberg printed the Bible, it began the age of enlightenment. At Inspire, we are multicultural. That means we're about a third, a third, and a third. Most of our African Americans have not come back yet, nor have they across the U.S., in case you don't know. Church Without Walls has an open. Brentwood has an open. Wheeler Street has an open. Uh, T.D. Jakes has an open. I could go on and on and on. Churches in Atlanta have not opened. A.R. Bernard has an open. Donnie McClurkin has an open. My bishop friends have not opened their churches yet. You know why? Because of the predominance of concern and the, the number of people in the African-American community that have lost their lives and continue to do so. So when you look around, just because you don't see all of our folk back, doesn't mean that, that we're, not, we're not multicultural. And I need you to understand that. Don't draw the wrong conclusion. Amen. And I want, I want to say this, and I really need you to get this. It wasn't always that way around here. That we had a multicultural church. When I came, I'm in my 34th year now. But when I came, this church was white. We were in a community that was multicultural. But we only had two African American families and two Hispanic families. And I intentionally set about to change that. Because a church that does not reflect the community it's in is not a church meeting the needs of that community. Amen. It's not... So I was shot at on all sides. <laughs> Seriously. And people saying I was going too far and others saying I was not going far enough. That's okay. I was following God. And it costs something to heal others. It costs to heal racial division. It costs to heal political division. And you know what? People don't want to pay that price. And you know what the price is? It's rejection. If I say something that offends you, these days it's not like, okay, I disagree with what you said. Now it's, okay, I'm unfriending you on Facebook. I don't like you anymore. I don't like your plate of spaghetti and meatballs that you posted yesterday. Amen. And people cancel you. You don't matter to them anymore. And my heart bleeds because how can anybody not matter for whom Christ died? How can anybody not matter? We have to go back to being people known for our love instead of canceling folk. Come out from among them and be you separate, says the Lord. The old poem about tolerance goes, listen to this, I learned it years ago. A heretic, a rebel, a thing to flout. He drew a circle and shut me out. But love and I had a wit to win. 
we drew a circle and took him in. We need to love people past their objections. And to be healing healers, you've got to love people without concern for yourself. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan? It cost him something to heal a man who was different than him. The political and religious crowd walked by on the opposite side of the road. But he crossed over the road. You see, it's not the length of the road that matters. It's the width of the road. I just preached something. It went right over your head. Somebody in another community. Somebody that doesn't look like me. Don't want to pay the price. This man, it cost him something to heal a stranger. And I close with this. How many times in recent years have I asked this question? Some of you have heard me ask it, particularly the staff. Where's Martin Luther King Jr. when you need him? Someone to inspire people to preach tolerance and love rather than bigotry and hate. To preach peace instead of war and forgiveness instead of retaliation. To be the body of Christ requires that we must pray and work to keep our own hearts pure. There's got to be a house cleaning in the house of God across the length and breadth of our nation. Clean the junk out of the living room and set it by the road and God will show up in his house again. Of course, we will have our own feelings on issues. And so you are entitled, as much as I am to have mine. You should never throw somebody away just because they have a different opinion. Let me ask you this question. Which one of you can see 360 degrees? Let me see your hand. You know what you have to have to be able to see 360 degrees? Tommy, do you mind helping me? You did so good this morning. Run up here real fast. And Steve, if you'll run up here. And James, if, if you will run up here, okay? If you would. Now watch this. I want to show you something. Come on, run, run, run. Come on. Is that the fastest you can run? You guys are getting old or something. Okay, stand back to back with me, if you would, Tommy. Steve on one side. James on the other. Face the opposite direction. Now I see 360 degrees. You share your view with me and you share your view with me and you share your view with me. And I can see things I wouldn't ordinarily see. And they may all be Anglos, but, <laughs> well, Tommy's a Cajun, so that makes him like me a little bit of everything. But whether it's African-Americans or Hispanics or whatever it may be, or Asians, in closing, I want to point something out to you. The Geneva Convention made it a war crime to harm medics who are on the field of battle to treat the wounded, regardless of which side they're on. How many in the military do we have here or you once served military? Would you raise your hands? Look at these. Let's give them an applause. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your service. I have one more question. Do we have any medics in the house? You were a medic. There you go, right there. There you go, right there. It blesses me so much. Because they will tell you that what I'm saying is true. You're not supposed to shoot a medic. He's out there to save lives. And it is considered a war crime to shoot somebody that is a healer. Why don't we stop shooting at ourselves with words?
You know who shoots at medics these days? They actually had to stop wearing the arm patches because insurgents shoot at medics. They don't care about Geneva Convention rules. And so they had to stop wearing the giveaway because the enemy insurgents, that's a rebel, figured out that if I can kill a medic out there on the field, then the soldier he's going to save is going to die and the people that would have been treated will die and we get more bang for the buck. And so they literally had to stop wearing the traditional arm patches with a red cross on it because they were being shot at by rebels. And my point in saying that is that how do you think God looks down upon the field, the battlefield of the world and views things that he sees happening around the world and in politics when he sees his own people with a red cross on the sleeve shooting at others who have the same insignia. You don't want to do that. The person you shoot at may save you on that battlefield someday. So in closing, I ask four questions and then I'll make a statement. Before you post divisive comments and rail and rant at somebody who has a different opinion and call everybody heretics and and everything else, please value the people even if they have a different perspective than you do. You might not agree with it. You're entitled to disagree. That's your prerogative. But don't you think it's time for civility to come back to this nation again? And I have four questions. Number one, what would Jesus say to them? What would he post if he were on social media? What would you think if you got it? You know, you're following Jesus on Instagram or Facebook and he went and he started calling man. Would you feel bad about that? Woo. Well, you're his body. Number two, will my comments promote healing and unity or cause division and hurt? And number three, will it harm my influence and therefore my ability to minister to people for whom Christ died to save? Will it keep me from ministering to them? Watch this. If you have a business, how wise is it for the first thing you do when you open your business to put a sign on the door that says 50% of the people who live in this community are not welcome here? You're trying to increase your market, not narrow it. But that's what churches do and that's what believers do. When they become angry and critical and do not regard others, people begin to say of the church they attend, oh, that church must be like this. That church must be like that. I won't tell you right now, I don't own any of your Facebook pages. I was supposed to be a joke. I'm not on Facebook myself. I'm not on social media. So please don't blame me for anything anybody has written. I don't own it. You must protect your influence because someday you've got to witness to this person. 
God sent you to get them saved. And number four, does it build the kingdom of God or does it tear it down? Are your comments constructive or are they destructive? And the statement is number five, pray for those with whom you disagree or those who take a position that's opposite from that that you have taken. Love them. Bless them. That's what Jesus said. Love your enemies. Final statements. How do you address the the issues of your own wounded or angry heart? Because there's no doubt, probably people in this church have gotten all, you know, engaged and been offended and hurt by statements people have made. And I could be talking to some right now or at home. And the question then becomes to me as a pastor, how do I help you get beyond that? And I would say this, number one, get in the word of God. Get in the word of God. Can I hear somebody say yes? Paul wrote that Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Ephesians 5, 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. The word washes out all this junk in your heart. And so after they cleaned out the debris, you know what the the priest did? They got mops and they got buckets and they got brushes and they went and they poured water in the house of God and soap and cleansed it. Cleanse my heart, oh God. Make it ever true. The way you do that is with the word. And finally, remember the words of Jesus. On the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Luke 23 and 34. Well, we all know the verse. But let's consider for a moment or reconsider the circumstances. They were killing him, but he prayed for them. That put it in a different light. They were killing him, but he still prayed for them. Number two, they weren't his political party, but he prayed for them anyway. And number three, they hated and made fun of him, but he prayed for them. Lord, help me to measure up to that. Help us all to, because that's the standard. That's what we're called to do. Would you stand with me, please? Clean the junk out of the living room. Get rid of everything that's built up in your heart. Don't just clean out the attic. Clean the junk out of where you live. You had bad feelings toward people, pray until God washes your heart. You posted a bunch of stuff that shouldn't maybe have been said. I'm assuming you can pull it down. I don't know how it works because I'm not on it. Seriously, if you can, pull it down. And won't you put something else up and say, I have decided to be a follower of Jesus and love everybody. 
I've decided to be kind to people that don't see the way that I see. Help me, Lord. I am your temple. I'm not my own. I belong to you. And so do all of we. And we have been chosen to repair the doors. And worship again. And clean out the muck and the mire. And make it habitable for your Holy Spirit. Forgive us of our wrongs. Forgive us for becoming over-inflamed, bitter. Every head is bowed. Could I see the hands of those who would, in a moment of honest self-reflection, nobody seen but me, just slip up a hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. I got some stuff to clean out of my heart. Just slip up your hand. Hands going up all over the building. Yeah. Got some stuff I need to get rid of. At home. If this message has spoken to you, raise your hand right where you are. Father, forgive us. Wash us. You said, herein shall men know that we are your disciples and that we have love to one another. Active love. I want to love my brother and my sister. We're all part of the same family. Ladies and gentlemen, while your heads are bowed, some of you come from families like I do where you had siblings. You ever get in a fight with a sibling? Sure, you did. But if somebody else tried to hurt your sibling, what would you do? Oh, then we got, we got, we got a fight on our hands for sure then. Because you're not going to hurt my brother and my sister. I may disagree with them and we might fight. But they're my brother and they're my, my sister and I love them. And I'm committed to them. And that's what Christ has called us to model.